You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello, thank you for listening. Charlotte Greenway in for Nick today, following on from Tom yesterday. Thursday the 7th of December and declarations are out for Saturday so I'll be looking at those in the company of Dave Yates shortly and hearing from Jamie Snowden on his two grade one runners this weekend before we revisit the premierisation marketing budget and hear from Nick Smith on Ascot's prize money next season and finally Nick catches up with the magic man Joe Moreira in Hong Kong. This weekend's racing from Sandown first though and Constitution Hill was this morning confirmed for the rearranged fighting fifth at Sandown where he'll face five rivals including stablemate Shishkin. Dave Yates of the Daily Mirror is alongside me and Dave we certainly expect him to win as we always do but there's some decent rivals in there taking him on. I think it's very interesting. Um, you had Michael Buckley on the Nick Luck Daily yesterday in which he said during which he said that the intention was to run and obviously much of that revolves around the the changing weather forecast charlotte doesn't it that earlier in the week the the weather forecast for the uh, the south at the end of the the week was was pretty bad it's it's sort of improved in many uh, predictions and so constitution hill runs um as a as a fan of the horse and as a fan of the sport obviously it would be it, it would be a real shame if we saw constitution hill in the uh, the christmas hurdle for his return in what is barely the first half of the season and then um maybe trials day maybe not and then of course on to the Cheltenham festival um i'm not that, that's not a, a criticism of his connections i know nicky henderson that cheltenham is front and center of of his season and so winning the champion hurdle again is uh, his main priority but obviously we need to see the stars as much as we possibly can and i i, I really hope that the weather does if not abate then uh it is not too extreme for Constitution Hill to start. As you say, it's it's, it's really the, the field that are up against the, the likely favour, I, I think is absolutely fascinating. Um, and it's, although there are just the six of them, and we were saying off air that we're, we're used now to seeing small fields, you know, if, if there are if there are four runners uh, declared for, sorry, five runners declared for the Tingle Creek, you know, we, we don't bat an eyelid at that these days, do we? But um, the horses who are in against Constitution Hill are all very good ones. Uh, Love Envoy, you wear it well, not so sleepy, and Goshen. So uh, we've got uh, a, a grade one a, a grade one winner in there uh, in the form of not so sleepy. Obviously, Shishkin, we'll talk about him in a moment. Goshen, who would have had that 15 minutes of fame in the Triumph Hurdle uh, a few years ago. And Love Envoy and You Wear It Well, who are horses who I think are, are still on the up. So it's interesting. Constitution Hill, obviously, the headline act until we get to Shishkin. <laughs> Very much so. And we're sort of praying that the weather 
won't stop Constitution Hill starting. Well, I'm not quite sure what might stop Shishkin, but you never know. I think one thing that I think is interesting with Shishkin this weekend, uh, and it, it might not be informative as to whether he starts um, at the, in the King George on Boxing Day. Now, remember, if we turn the clock back just over a week, Nicky Henderson was saying, we'll go to the rehearsal chase, where Shishkin, of course, was, was going to be the top weight. And his, the fear that he expressed was that at Newcastle, the, uh, the, the start for the rehearsal chase is towards the end of the, the right-angle bit of track leading away from the winning post. So he expressed the fear that with the, that bit of the track going away from the stands, it might work against Shishkin and his uh, cooperation at the start. Now, this time, of course, at Sandown in the Tingle Creek, uh, sorry, in the, in the, the Fighting Fit, um, we're going to have horses running up the hill towards the grandstand. So it might be that Shishkin thinks, yeah, this is all right, I'll do this and probably go around for another circuit. But then when he gets to Kempton, and of course he's again at that right angle going away from uh, the stands, his mindset might be a little different. It, it's it's fascinating. I've, I've, I've read and listened to an awful lot about uh, Shishkin and horses, whether they get better or worse as they get older i'm not a horsey person but certainly my view watching uh, avidly over the years is that once those seeds get planted in horses heads i think they're quite difficult to fight against but as i say just the the way that the start is positioned on saturday it might work in shishkin's favor or at least work towards Shishkin starting in the rescheduled fighting fifth, but it might be a different story when we get to the King George. But it's certainly a really interesting race. Yeah, and just my worry with it was, you know, everyone's saying Shishkin needs to go out there and he needs to go and enjoy himself. Well, is he going to enjoy himself over two miles if they go a proper two-mile gallop? Um, we've seen last year he wasn't overly enthusiastic about going that sort of speed. So if James Bowen's going to have to stoke him along from, you know, from flagful, is he going to think, actually, I've not had a great time out there and, uh, you know, put him off even further? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's another thing, isn't it, that Nicky Henson talked about, obviously, the the... The, the cheek pieces which in which he didn't start um, at Ascot in the 1965 chase, then subsequently they've been left off. Um, that thing about horses enjoying themselves, again, not, not being a horsey person, I, it, it's something that I can't really plug into that. Um, whether running around Sandown Park uh, in fruitless pursuit of Constitution Hill is going to be an enjoyable or positive experience uh, for Shishkin, I, I don't really feel qualified to offer a, a, a yay or a nay on that. But I, I certainly, I mean, in, in, terms of, um, in terms of winning the race and how he's going to run in it, the evidence of last year, as, as his trainer observed himself, which is the reason that he put the, uh, the cheap pieces on in the first place, that Shishkin hasn't... He's looked a, a, a little bit... Uh, if Lair is overstating it, then sort of reluctant at times for a horse who began his career with that sort of push button acceleration and the ability to travel uh, really strongly, then that does seem to have either deserted him 
in in one way or another, doesn't it? I, I suspect that it's mm. it's more his doing than than nature's, if you like. But um, yeah, we'll see. So Dave mentioned a little bit earlier five runners in the Tingle Creek on Saturday at Sandown, and John Bond is the obvious favourite, but uh, he's not going to have it easy. No, I think that's a, a very fair observation. Um, dealing with the favourite himself, he's a very short price favourite. His his two defeats uh, in his career over obstacles have been at the Cheltenham Festival, of course, behind Constitution Hill and behind El Fabiolo. Um, yeah, there, there are, it's a it's a strong cast up against him. Boot Hill uh, is a horse who is definitely upwardly mobile. We know that Edward Stone on his day is uh, an extremely good horse, including, of course, when uh, he ran away with this race by nine lengths uh, 12 months ago. So we we don't have Captain Guinness. Um, Niba Negra, a horse who I, I suspect would be, uh, a, would, would be suited by the rain really staying away and, and probably the sun coming out as well. But um, yeah, there's no doubt that uh, Jean Boy is the, is, is the rightful favourite, I think, for this race, but certainly it won't be a cakewalk. And the third grade one on the card on Saturday is the Henry VIII's Novices Chase over two miles. JPR1 is the hot favourite. He, of course, slithered on landing and unseated his rider at Cheltenham last time. Can you see anything beating him? Yeah, I, I think it's... I, I, if I were uh, connected with one of the other horses, I, I, I wouldn't be quaking in my boots. I think there's no doubt that JPR1 is the rightful favourite. As, as you say, he... Um, he he bids to uh, gain compensation for that unlucky um, departure at Cheltenham last time out. But you know this is a this is a race where uh, we're looking at chasers at the at very much in the the nascent stage of their careers. Um, we know that um, ICO of Paul Nichols was disappointing when he was last a third behind JPR1 at Newton Abbott in October. It's hard to think that he's not a better horse than that. Um, Colonel Harry was impressive, albeit in a, a, a small field on his chasing debut. So, yeah, I, I think that there are. Um, it, th- this is an interesting race. As I say, I, I think that JPR1 is the right favourite here, but I certainly don't think that it's so, uh, put it this way, is, is it is it not worth the others turning up? I certainly think they should do. Taking on JPR1 with the aforementioned Colonel Harry will be the Jamie Snowden team who had a great weekend last Saturday at Newbury as that's all right, Gino scored in the Coral Gold Cup and Jamie joins me on the line now. Jamie, we'll come to your runners this weekend shortly, but first reflecting on last Saturday, that's all right, Gino, he won really well, didn't he? He did, yeah. Obviously, he's. Um, it was the first time we'd stepped him up in trip, so the, the the trip was always going to be a little bit of a concern. But um, we hoped that if if he did stay, there was a little bit of sort of juice in his handicap mark, and and um, thankfully, under a, a, a brilliant ride from Gav, it all, it all paid off. And as you come out of the race, all okay? Yeah, he was a bit tired on on Sunday morning. He he he, he had a bit of a, a pajama day. Um, so yeah, he was he was a bit tired the following day, but uh, he's 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 up and about and he's been down splashing in the river and hacking away around the boulder paths and had a bit of a gentle canter. And yeah, no, he's um, he, he he's come out of it come out of it well. He's only seven as well, isn't he? So he's got plenty of you know potential still to come. 
That's 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 always always the hope again. You know, um, he's he's uh, he obviously improved. He was a good novice hurdler. Um, he won at won at Chatham over two miles, and you know he was a very good novice chaser last year. He improved twenty pounds from from start to finish. He won over two miles and ended up finishing. He won the Grade Two um, novice chase up at up at the Scottish National Meeting. And um, Gavin was always adamant he wanted to go up and trip, but we were sort of conscious that you know he was still still a young horse and that there was more to come from him. So uh, yeah, as you say, he's only seven, and and hopefully he's still on the on the sort of upward curve. He's he's gone up eleven pounds for for winning the uh, the, the the Coral Gold Cup. So um, keep saying the Hennessy. Day. But um, yeah, for for winning the Coral Gold Cup, and um, yeah, that eleven pound rise obviously. You know, puts him puts him up into a different category of race now, and um, you know he's got to he's got to step forward again. Yeah, it narrated one five nine. So, what are you looking at next for him? Well, the, the the most obvious race. I'm not saying it's the right race. The most obvious race is is obviously the Cotswold Chase at uh, at Cheltenham in January. Um, so that will be stepping into graded company. Um, open graded company for the, for the first time but um you know that that's that's the kind of that's where the handicapper has put him and you know he he probably goes you know deserves to sort of take his chance in in a race of that caliber i think i read in the racing post this week that the uh the king george at kempton on boxing day wasn't totally ruled out is that an option <sighs> Yeah, I mean, listen, um, we'd obviously have to supplement him for that if we were to, to, to go down that route. Um, you know, my concerns were, were, are obvious in the fact that, you know, he has had a hard race in, in, in the Coral Gold Cup and, and that, that race is, you know, was at the beginning of December now and, and you know, as opposed to some years, it's the end of November and uh, yeah, there's a, you know, a fairly short space of time to recover in order to, to get him right for, for, for the King George. So, um, I th- I'd say that's a long shot. Um, it's still a chance, um, but it would probably be a long shot. Well, there could be more calls for celebration for you and the GD partnership at Sandown this weekend as Colonel Harry runs in the Henry VIII Novices Chase. And I thought he was really impressive at, on his chase debut at Chepstow, wasn't he? Yeah, thanks, Charlotte. He's he's always been a horse we, we we've loved. He was um, he won a couple of novice hurdles last year. He was fourth in a Grade One and second in a Grade Two last season over hurdles, but. Uh, you know he's a proper scopey individual and was always going to improve for offence and ran very well on his on his chasing debut at Chepstow where, where he won well. Um, Timurus was obviously some way behind him that day who who beat him in the Grade One last season, but um, perhaps Timurus didn't didn't turn up on the day at Chepstow. But uh, even so, our, our lads won well and um, deserves to you know have a have chances arm in, in in a Grade One and um, he'll certainly get his ground. He's gone well at Sandown before and and uh, yeah, it's a competitive race, but um, we'll go and take our chance. So ground wise, the softer the better for him, is it? He's a first there over two miles, so so yes, um, you know the softer the better for him. Yeah, and of course we can't let you go without mentioning you wear it well, your Cheltenham Festival winner, who goes in the rear range fighting fifth hurdle now at Sandown. Um, just first off, do you think the track of Sandown will suit her better or worse than it might have done at Newcastle? Uh, tricky to tell, really. She's she's fairly versatile. She, she's won at Sandown. She won over two four at Sandown last season. She won a Grade Two Jane Seymour um, novice hurdle there. So uh, she's gone well, left-handed, right-handed. Um, yeah, I suppose. Uh, listen, we're, we're, she's been a been a brilliant mare for us, um, and hopefully there's more to come from her as well this year. She she won very well on the start start you know seasonal debut this year at, at Weatherby, where she won the listed race carrying a penalty. Um, Cheltenham Festival winner last year. You know she's um, she's a really lovely mare and, and great to have on our team. Um, 
that in the absence of a sort of suitable race for her in December, the, the, the mayor's programme, you know, sort of maps itself out for her in January, February and March, but that there wasn't a suitable race for her in December. And as I say, in the absence of a, a, a fitting race, we thought we'd take our chance in a, in a great one against Constitution Hill, which um, is probably silly, but um, listen, you know, it's, it, we're in it for sport. And, you know, although he's, he's an absolute superstar, you know, it is sport, it is racing and, and we need to, we need to be running horses in these big races so that the fields fill and it is a spectacle so um you know she she deserves to go and take a chance in a race like this but um we're under no illusions that we're taking on a a, a superstar and just picking up on a point that rishi Passad raised on the podcast yesterday with tom stanley do you think it's right that the race has been rescheduled for a track that is completely different to newcastle it's very tricky, isn't it? Because um, there's four meetings on this weekend. There's the, 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 the Saturday. There's Chepstow Entry, um, Weatherby and Sandown, and um, you know it's a, it's very tricky to, to you know I hate to imagine you know all the sort of toing and froing that that goes goes into rescheduling these races. And it, at least they have rescheduled it. Um, whether it's left-handed, right-handed, up a hill or down a hill or on a flat track, you know at least they have rescheduled it. And rather than picking holes in in what they've what they've done, I think we should commend them for. for for doing it and just finally on racing admin no one is jocked up on either horses tomorrow uh, on saturday but i assume gavin will be riding both um, he, 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 for, for whatever reason, the stewards decided to um, ban him for two weeks for, for a brilliant ride that he gave for a horse of Lucy Wadhams a couple of, a couple of weeks ago at Huntington. Um, and, and, and anyway, he's appealing it today. I think nobody in racing thinks that he should should have been uh, should have been banned at all. Um, so I, I, hopefully, it's a, a, a you know. A, a foregone conclusion that he will be he will be free to ride but um yeah we're waiting to hear the results of that appeal this morning oh, i hadn't realized that that was kicking in so quickly and but do you have anyone else lined up just in case we do yeah okay perfect well i won't ask you to to expand because hopefully <laughs> gavin will be aboard exactly fingers crossed well jamie thanks so much for your time this morning and yeah best of luck on saturday you're very kind thanks so much for having me on Jamie Snowden there, who has a couple of big runners this weekend. And while Sandown don't seem to have any worries about going ahead on Saturday, the same can't be said for Huntingdon and their fixture on Sunday. They've had a lot of rain by all accounts and look like they're due a fair bit more. They're having an inspection at 2pm this afternoon, so we'll wait to hear from them. Uh, one who has been hit by the rain and has had to abandon this afternoon is Wincanton, Dave. And uh, unfortunately, that means that we'll have to wait a little bit longer to see a Sheen Murphy over the sticks. Yeah, it's disappointing that, isn't it? Um, that was a, 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 a news item uh, that, uh, that I thought pricked all of our ears up this week to see a Sheen Murphy riding over obstacles. We know about his... Um, his uh, fondness for for show jumping and and sort of all things equine uh, really but yeah it's disappointing that uh, we don't see him this afternoon I, I hope that there'll be a point that he will uh, ride over obstacles in terms of the weather last week we were talking about the, the cold and now we're just talking about the thaw and water locking aren't we uh, which is causing problems everywhere wink uh, Wincanton has gone today uh, exeter Daniel Cooper was going to inspect at 7.30 tomorrow for that meeting. I don't know if he might be able to bring that forward. Uh, we will see. Um, Weather be inspect at 3 o'clock today for Saturday's meeting. And so, 
Yeah, we're struggling a bit, but but as you say, Huntingdon is a, a, another one that Roderick Duncan has had very little luck since uh, he uh, started at Huntingdon, and and now the the elements are working against uh, the uh, the track this time with the the, uh, the prospect of of heavy rain, and um, that is Huntingdon's flagship day of the meeting and it looks like it's going to be up against it. Yes, and we'll keep our fingers very much crossed for Huntingdon because uh, they've got the Peterborough Chase on Sunday and also the Mayor's listed bumper. So hopefully that is able to go ahead. Now on Tuesday's podcast, Nick and Lydia had a conversation following Lee Mosshead's article in the Racing Post regarding the marketing budget for premierisation and Craig Stadden of Plumpton Racecourse had his say and called for help um, in marketing these fixtures. However, Bill Farnsworth in the Racing Post yesterday offered a different view, Dave. Yeah, that's right. Um, as Bill Farnsworth often does, and as you say, that the uh, the story on Tuesday in um, the Racing Post, which Lee Mottishead wrote, was was that the, the uh, there wasn't a uh, a marketing budget for premierisation which of course starts on January the 1st um, yeah Bill, Bill Farnsworth has basically said that uh, he felt that the uh, the responsibility uh, for selling premier racing was was down to the race courses rather than uh, that uh, responsibility being more centralised he said uh, we didn't expect to be getting a lot of support as the process of establishing the 2024 fixture list took longer than expected. It's here and we're doing it, but it's taken a little bit longer than thought. So that's why there's not the central support, which um, I think that it, it, it's a very interesting one This as to as to where that responsibility ought to lie in the first place. Race courses, I think many of them will say, well, we've We've put up the 200 grand in prize money and uh, we need a, a bit of help to, uh, to push these fixtures. Um, it's also been, uh, I know reading the, uh, the quote from Alan Del Monte of the, the levy board that he felt that the, the plans weren't sufficiently, uh, weren't in, in place sufficiently quickly uh, for the, uh, the levy board to commit support remember that the um, the 2024 fixture list was published on the 10th of october uh, which is pretty late i mean one thing we can say for sure is that i think that we we were expecting a bit more of a fanfare of trumpets than the one uh, we're going to get I, the um the, the bha uh, at the time said that uh, Premier fixtures uh, will ensure consistent high-quality racing, which can be differentiated from the rest of the fixture list and better promoted to showcase the sport to new and existing audiences. Well, that that doesn't seem to have rung particularly true, does it? We're on the seventh of, uh, of December now. Uh, the the first one starts at Cheltenham on New Year's Day, and it, it doesn't look as though um, these are being particularly uh effervescently uh promoted so yeah we'll see how this goes I, I, as i say i think that it's it's a moot point in as to as to where that res- responsibility lies i think most of the tracks feel that they uh w- were seeking some some central uh support but as you say bill farnsworth not for the first time comes up with a different view here
Yeah, and I totally understand that, you know, race courses need to be marketing their own fixtures, but the whole uh, sort of change and premierization, what does that mean? That's probably up to racing to promote in a, in a very different way. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very fair point. I mean, the the my my understanding of it f- following this from from the the start and 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 reading uh, and speaking to um the BHA when I've had the opportunity to do that through their through their their media uh briefings my impression was that that there was going to be um a centralized a, a centralized push and that this was going to be centrally funded um but thus far that doesn't seem to have come to pass um it's, it's going to be a very interesting couple of years isn't it this um, I, i'm sure that two years is is insufficient uh, for us to know how premierization is work is, is going to work um clearly they're going to analyze the data from day one and see uh, how things are uh, are going to progress but it, it does seem that we there, there seems to be a relative lack of published data leading uh, into into this new era of premierization and that for me is the is the is the worry here you know it, Lydia I think said the other day about putting the cart before the horse and we seem to have arrived at a situation where by we we have these plans to um, to improve the the finances of British racing uh, through premierization but the, the 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 work in terms of information from the people who are going to pay for this i.e. the, the customer base and and the, the customer base that that, that we we're, we're trying to uh, get into the keep net that seems to be that seems to be lacking and that is a is a worry uh, you know like everybody else i i i earn my living from horse racing and and i want it to uh, prosper and, and to thrive, uh, and I really hope that that premierization d- delivers what it's it's meant to. But at the moment, I think it's it's more um, a question of just having to wait and see rather than spending the money before we've got it. All right. If you were with us earlier in the week, you'll have heard Lydia and I discussing premierization. We'll, we also discussed racecourses prize money contributions in respect of premierization and what they have to do, what their obligations are and the extent to which they are able to offset their premierization obligations against their other fixtures. So, i.e., can they reduce prize money contributions uh, for other fixtures to make sure that their premier fixtures are supported the way that the industry wants them to be? The answer to which is, broadly speaking, yes, if they want to do that, they can. And you'll have heard the Plumpton CEO talking about rate cards. Nick Smith is the Director of Racing and Public Affairs at Ascot. Ascot have just announced their prize money intentions for 2024, and it seems a good time to just take stock of that and take stock of the situation as a whole. So, Nick, what are you doing? Hi, Nick. Yes, uh, we're, we're increasing prize money to 17.5 million for next year. That's a, a just under a 4% rise on 2023, which was 16.8 million. 
and we're increasing, for example, at Royal Ascot, the the minimum uh, value for a race from 100,000 to 110,000. And we're putting a bit of money around the programme as well. And around the programme through the year, we've looked a bit at the Shergar Cup, for example, and some other targeted races. But I think from the pertinent point from, from your instruction is obviously, where does the money come from? And absolutely, in our case, it doesn't come from our core fixtures. All our races um, at our core fixtures outside of the new premier fixtures will be run for at least what they are being run for in 2023. So the money that's coming in, it's all additional money and not moved from pot A to pot B. Fine. So how many premier fixtures have you got by percentage of total fixtures? Well, it's about um, 60%, something like that. We've got a, a lot of our Fridays are, are core. Um, a few of our jumps meetings aren't. We have a couple of meetings in the summer, which uh, even on Saturdays, which aren't core meetings. Our summer mile meeting, for example, is is, is core. Um, and, our, uh, and our September meeting on the same day as the Spring Cup at Haydock and the September Stakes at Kempton. That's core as well. So we have plenty of those core meetings as well. Um, and it's really important to make sure that you know, those races on those days um, are maintained at, at those values uh, and we try and also move forward our shop window our higher profile race races at royal ascot at the king george at the show cup etc etc and in this era of craving for transparency the obvious question is how have you enabled a prize money increase against a relatively unsteady backdrop well, we've always been completely transparent on, on media rights. We, uh, media, our media rights, including the betting income and what have you, is about 10% of our turnover. Our turnover is about £100 million. Pounds. You know, there's never been any secret about that. We've always been very open about money that comes in through Whirlpool. It's somewhere between the 400 to the 600 range, 600,000 range. It has, you know, it, it fluctuates, it varies. It, it, it varies. You can never be precise. But we've always been p- perfectly clear about where we stand with media rights and, and what have you. The, the answer to where this money specifically comes from and it's not so much where it comes from because of course the increase whilst obviously good news isn't isn't like saying we're going up 25 percent and finding five six million no it's it's a gradual increase in doing our best but i think standing still in the current climate is an achievement in itself because if you're going to uh if you like backfill the reduction in money coming into your core fixtures and try to find money to put on top of your premier fixtures and your feature races uh, you're, you're 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 having to pay money to stand still before you go into actual announcement territory and going forward so it's, it's a it's not easy the cost of living is is it's no myth you know we're, we're facing some quite frightening um, increases in cost to our electricity bills and what have you. Um, but you'll see our company accounts are public. Again, all of this information is in the public eye. You know, you, you will see that from since COVID, our, our, our profits, whilst, uh, whilst perfectly uh, satisfactory to maintain our, our debt repayments uh, and, our, and our mandates to the banks, aren't what they were before, before, before COVID. But what we are doing is looking to the future, trying to protect the future, trying to ring fence the higher quality, the higher profile meetings um, for the future to try and encourage people to continue to have their horses in training in Great Britain um, and, to, and, and, and of course in our case to try and bring horses from, from outside Europe into, into, into the UK. So give me a, a sort of retrospective of, of 2023 and, and I, I realise we're not quite done yet and obviously numbers aren't going to be complete but, but from what you've seen so far what's performed well for Aska and what's performed less well or what, what requires improvement? Well, uh, it's really actually costs. 
um, our, our turnover is is actually broadly where we want it to be. Almost all of our um, concerns for the future, for the immediate future, are in rising costs. So our turnover will be broadly broadly what it what it has been in the last few years uh, since COVID. But it's the costs associated with delivering the same uh, experiences for race guys, which is which is the issue that we're really facing. Nick, appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Well, thanks to Nick and Nick there. And well, Dave, uh, Australian racing look to have their own woes as Rose Hill Racecourse is set to close. What's going on there? Yeah, what a worrying development this is. Um, along with uh, Randwick, Rose Hill would be uh, Sydney's premier race course. It's the home to the Golden Slipper, which is Australia's biggest two-year-old race. Uh, it was first run in 1957, and and as you would expect, many of the of the the celebrated names of Australian uh, racing are on its roll of honour. But um, the uh, the news comes that uh, Rose Hill Racecourse could close. It could be redeveloped into uh, housing. This is, is has come to a, a, a as a shock to uh, many of the the leading trainers uh, who feel that they've been somewhat blindsided by uh, this development. And it's something, of course, that um, we are not alien to in this country, of course. Remember the the, the plans uh, to to close Kempton a few years ago from the Jockey Club and and for that to be sold uh, as housing. There was a a compromise reached in that case. But this is, yeah, a, a very worrying uh, development for Australian racing. And, and indeed for all of us in a sense that if we feel that the the general populace is is moving away from horse racing that it's much lower in the national consciousness than it once was and i think that that's true in britain i think it's true in ireland uh, i think it's also true reading uh, about what's happening in australia over the years then this is a a worrying development specifically for australian racing and obviously for rose hill but it's something that we should all have an eye on as well because it's a situation that we can all um pray uh, we can all fall prey to if we feel that the public is moving away from the sport now sticking to the international theme and back to nick who's in hong kong so on the way here in hong kong and en route from my hotel to Sha Tin to prepare for the barrier draw, which is going to have a pretty significant influence over the four Hong Kong international races this year. There's a real buzz back about the place because this is the first Hong Kong international race day which has really been shackle-free from the, from the pandemic. And it wouldn't be a Hong Kong international race day without Joe Marrera, who made this place his own for, for so many years and is back and could be back with a bang. We'll come to his big ride in the Hong Kong Vars in a few moments' time. But first of all, Joe, uh, you couldn't miss this this day, could you? <laughs> Definitely not, especially as uh, I was asked to come and ride some decent horses. So um, I had plenty to look forward to. And you come back home from home. Does it feel, does it feel strange, given how you dominated here for, for so many years? It does feel strange because bring back all those good memories. I try to avoid the bad ones, but the good ones, I try to just keep on letting it float. And um, it actually makes me feel like, yeah, we had a really good time over here. 
it is a good place and um, we were blessed to spend a bit of time in Hong Kong and and um, been quite a bit of success so so it's 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 a, such a great feeling to be back to be honest so how many years was it in total beginning to end just over eight and a half years and um, yeah so but I honestly I also don't regret of making moves because that actually got me to path mm. which I never been before and um, that pays off to be honest and I'm, I'm extremely happy with the way how things is going at the moment so eight and a half years how many championships four of them and four seconds <laughs> we only remember the we only remember the good ones um when you look at the group of jockeys riding here now it's subtly changed over the last two or three years Zach's still here of course Hugh Bowman's on the sidelines injured do you see a a, a group of riders that um is as competitive as it was when when you were in in your pomp here to be honest no I don't think so <laughs> not saying bads about the, the the jockeys that are riding at the moment over here but Hong Kong is going through to a process of changing yeah. which is normal um, they're still picking up the best jockeys they can get all around the world here we came in and it, he was definitely a big plus to the jockey stable Zach is at my age so we, we can't see him getting any better I don't think at age of 40 he would improve he would already gone past his best don't take me wrong i think jack is zach is a brilliant rider he's he's been so successful and he deserves it all um but unfortunately i can't see him going any any better than that because he's already reached the, the roof and uh, i mean the good thing is i know that if i had this conversation with him he'd say the same thing about you but it's it's a, it's a normal <laughs> thing because uh, times goes by and things change you yeah. know and, we get replaced. If you look back in 20 years time, there was some other jockeys here, brilliant riders as well, and we don't even hear from them anymore. So that means it's a cycle which is normal to go through. And we've been very lucky yeah. to be one of those that actually uh, been named as age gone by. Now, you and I have spoken before about how this is a great place, but it's, it's tough. You've got to be tough. You've got to be mentally strong. You've got to be physically strong. Um, you've got to be on your game the whole time. And in order to prolong your career, you needed, as you said, to, to take a different path. Just talk to me through about the last 18 months and how you're feeling now physically and, and mentally. I, I have to bring you back to what was going on with me before. Mm, yeah. So Hong Kong is a place where when you get here, you're not, you're not, you shouldn't be giving your 100%. You've got to give 200% of yourself. Mm. When I came, I was willing to give 220% of myself. So you were almost overdoing it. I was overdoing. So then that actually shortened up my my career. So then I realized that because I was just working too hard and giving up in too many things. Changes needed to be done. I done it, and I can feel like it was quite costly in some ways, and very rewardable in some others. I don't regret to be honest, but at this time I gotta be more mindful and look after myself. Feeling-wise, I'm feeling much better. Not, not just physically, but also mentally. Uh, obviously, everyone else knows that I had some health issues, as well as psychological issues, and I've been on top of it to make sure that I do get myself at least better. Some of the points that I just mentioned about, I can't be fully recovered, but at least I can just be the best I, I can for the moment. 
and to be very honest I'm being very surprised where I am right now because honestly a year and a half just before I leave I didn't think I was gonna be sitting where I am right now I thought I was gonna be probably not even riding anymore so very pleased and proud of being able to still ride for a couple of more years and and I'm enjoying it that's, that's I think that's the most important thing I still enjoy riding I'm back in Hong Kong and I'm, I'm loving it so looking forward to, to get on Sunday races and your body's behaving my body's great so I'm, I'm extremely happy what the doctors that have been looking after me has done where they got me got me up to so Charlotte I was very struck by how candid Moreira was we were just sitting in, in the back of the cab just chewing the fat really and um, there wasn't much much intro to the interview either I just said can I can I chat and he said yep yeah, off we go and talked about his his mental health struggles, his physical struggles, and it's really incredibly heartening to hear how well he's doing now in, in both respects. He certainly lo- certainly looks to be riding pain free. So, what of the of the rides he's got on on Sunday? Uh, of the three, there's one that really appeared to to stand out to me, and I was intrigued to know what he thought of Lebenstyle, this lightly raced Japanese three year old that's been making quite an impression. Lebenstu is a horse that I, I rode in Japan just once um, at the races and I did do some gallops with him in the mornings so I know how, how he behaves and how strong he is. He is a type of a horse that for me he's good enough to be winning this race. I know it's a tough race, there is some other horses in the field that actually makes it even stronger but um, I, I came for this horse and I really think he's, he's going to be hard to beat. Um, it's tough for a three-year-old but conversely at least they're horses that tend to be on the upgrade against horses that maybe have had enough well he's only three but he he has proven himself by winning a group two race in japan and i think if you if you got that over there picking up rising as he is you gotta come to hong kong with confidence and that's where we are sitting at um, he is a very nice horse physically and mentally very powerful and he just needs to produce what he's got best if he does yeah, he's gonna be hard to beat and his his warm heart who's ridden by ryan moore is she your she your biggest danger do you think no doubts about it based on how she runs the other day in america um, um she should be the one to be and do you think your horse is significantly better than sherry because we've got a pretty good guide we know where we're, we're at with sherry because he's running just about every country in the world well no doubt that he has got more experience by tra- having traveled so many times but if you look at my fella you would be very impressed okay. so yeah I'm, I'm gonna sit on him with plenty of confidence no doubt about it i can't wait to see him um on on sunday what about your other two rides in the in the mile and uh, and in the cup uh, the mile the, the horse you ride is is a bit of an old timer he is a type of a that type of a horse but he's he's strong his form in japan is very good he has run well nearly won some group races in in japan i mean group one races in japan last time i was on board he just missed group one over there four or five weeks ago which was very hard but we had to pull up with that and as he did run very well we we thought coming over to Hong Kong with him would be a good thing so we're taking on some good horses yeah. special golden six which is the 
best horse that has ever turned up in Hong Kong, in my opinion. And um, um, if that horse does not bring his A game for whatever reason, uh, so Rush might be the one to, to be winning the race. And I'm interested in, in your thoughts about Golden 60 because clearly he's the most prolific horse ever to come out of this out of this place and he he's one of the most popular uh, and we believe him to be one of the, the very best in the world uh, in terms of where he stacks up internationally do you think he could go anywhere and win it is a pit that they didn't take him to other places at his prime you know we, I, we're not sure if he's still sitting at his prime very unlikely because he's aging right but he is a freak He's one of those that I have come with a very good horse next to him to go past. He prick his ears back and he wouldn't let anyone else go past. Not just my horse that I just mentioned about that were good. So uh, it's a shame that I didn't get to ride him ever. Vincent does deserve not take not taking check credit of him, but because he's been so successful with the horse. Uh, but at the same time, it's such a pleasure to be around such a good horse like him. You know, it's. Uh, even just racing against him, it's, it, it is a pleasure. Hopefully this time we can just get get to the finish line ahead of him, which is no doubt going to be very tough. All right, on, on which note, I'll go off on a slight tangent here. You talk about the pleasure of being around a good horse, even if you're not riding that good horse. How good, how good, is that? How good has Equinox been, in your opinion? Equinox is the best horse in the world at the moment, and by far. It's been, the way how he's been winning, the field that he's been beating, you don't see other horses doing that and he's been consistent all the way through in the last 16 months 18 months i mean yeah it, it was another very good experience to be racing against such a good horse unfortunately i wasn't <laughs> on board but yeah yeah it, it, it was it was special and i've had a bit of backwards and forwards with a few people in the last few weeks about about horses that have come out of japan particularly because there just seems to be on the part of some not all people in Europe that that well they're only beating horses in their own country but surely you only have to look at the international race results here in Hong Kong in Dubai Saudi Breeders Cup to realize that this is the strongest group of horses anywhere in the world isn't it or am I getting that wrong you're not if you just look at the horse that actually he's beating beating by big margin they traveling all around the world and they just smashing them all I mean <laughs> form that is is actually running into has been proven around the world so yeah you don't you're not taking it wrong he's yeah. actually racing against some of the strongest competition in the world honestly i think japan has got the best horses in the world at the moment special talking pretty much at the middle distance races like you take talking about a miler to 2200 meters race yeah i think japan has got the best ones and that's why you're here on three Japanese horses in the Hong Kong international races. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's a real pleasure to catch up with you. Um, thank you for taking the time to hop in the cab and head to Shartin and enjoy track work and hope the draw goes well for you and hope the races go well for you. Thanks, man. I'll see you around.
Dave, we spoke about John Bunn at the beginning of the show and actually his biggest rival to the champion chase crown this season would look to be El Fabiolo, who uh, is actually favourite for the race currently, beat John Bonn in last season's article and he looks set to return on Sunday at Cork in the Hilly Wade chase for Willie Mullins and Paul Townend. Who are you signing with between the two of them this season, Dave? Tricky one, isn't it? Um, I, the thing about, I mean, when El Fabiolo has beaten uh, Jean Bon by a pretty emphatic five and a half lengths at Cheltenham, I think it's hard to uh, be uh, too uh, certain that the, the runner-up is going to turn things around. The, the thing, I, I'm really looking forward to El Fabiolo this season because uh, the likes of the uh, Dublin Racing Festival a little bit at Cheltenham. He he gives it he, he gives his opponents a chance in his novice season last year by making the odd mistake. And it, he can make the odd howler. And he's clearly got so much ability that as a novice he was able to overcome that and come through and win races. But I, I should be really interested to see how he gets on. He runs in the Hillyway chase uh, at Cork at the weekend and you know he's got uh to my maths 20 pounds and, and upwards uh, of his rivals here for all that there's um, the the penalty to deal with. But he, he's obviously hugely exciting. Um, remember that the same connections, uh, the double greens and, and Willie Mullins tasted defeat with Ampere Pass uh, last Sunday in the Hatton's Grace at Fairy House. They'll be hoping for better luck here. And I'm, I, I think they'll get it. Looking down, looking further down the track, I'm interested to see that how El Fabiola gets on and just whether that uh, th- that tendency to make the odd mistake might be uh, a bit more um, costly in open company than he found it as a novice. Very much looking forward to seeing him return to action on Sunday. Now, Dave, before you go, have you got a tip for us somewhere today? I am going to the Essex Showground, Charlotte, the 8.30 race at Chelmsford City today and number six star of Lady M um, affiliate David O'Mara's who has been in really good form on the all weather of late followed a, a, a nose defeat behind 60s chic at Wolverhampton that that winner has won again since as has star of Lady M scoring at Lingfield last time a rise in the weights here but lightly raced on the surface and I hope there should be more to come so it's the 8.30 race at Chelmsford City tonight selection is number six star of Lady M my thanks to Dave also thanks to Jamie Snowden Nick Smith and Joe Moreira Tom Stanley will be back with the podcast tomorrow morning. Thank you very much once again for listening. That was episode 890. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.